Hi, this is Pastor Ryan Spooner. We'll get to the recording of this Sunday's message in just a moment, but first I want to ask, are you a listener who does not attend in person on Sundays, but who would be interested in meeting with other St. Paul's listeners in your area for a small group? Right now we have a couple people connected to St. Paul's who live in the New Haven shoreline area who would like to start an in-person small group you know, to meet for fellowship and discussion of the previous week's message. And so if you happen to be from the New Haven shoreline area and you would be interested in that, please email me to let me know. Ryan at stpaulswired.org. That's stpaulswired.org. And if you're not in that area, but you're in another area and you'd be interested in meeting with other listeners there, Email me to let me know what area you're from, and maybe we can put something together. In fact, even if you're not interested in a small group, but you're just a regular listener who doesn't attend in person, we'd love to hear from you just to know that you're out there, because uh, we don't really know how many people listen to this. So if you're willing, we'd love to hear from you. And as always, we'd love to have you join us on a Sunday morning. We meet at 10.30 a.m. at the Millworks in Willington, Connecticut, 156 River Road. Also, if you'd ever like to support our church financially, we would be extremely grateful. You can donate through our website, stpaulschurchct.org. All right, so we are continuing our series, Walking in the Light, Lessons from 1 John this morning. Uh, this is part four, and I encourage you to open your Bible to where we left off last week, which is 1 John chapter 2, verse 29. 1 John chapter 2, verse 29. Lord, we thank you for this morning and for the opportunity to gather and learn and worship and we just want to be open to receive whatever it is that you want to teach us from the scriptures this morning and so we give our attention to you and invite your holy spirit to work and all god's people said amen all right and now dear children continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, 
because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they've been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. All right, so I think that sometimes John can be confusing. Uh, A couple weeks ago, we looked at the passage where he said, I am not giving you a new command, but an old command. But I am giving you a new command. And I suggested, well, there is a way of understanding that where it's not a hopeless contradiction. Uh, Jesus said about 60 years before John wrote this letter, I am giving you a new command. As I have loved you, love one another. And so that became known as the new command. But when John wrote this letter, that was old news because it was, had been around for 60 years. So when he says, I'm not giving you a new command, he's basically saying, hey, I'm not telling you anything new. This is stuff that you already know. It's an old command, and yet it is the new command, right? Because it is the command that Jesus called the new command. So what seemed hopelessly contradictory did have a resolution to it. Now, in the passage that we just read, another apparent contradiction arises. And I'll be honest, I think this one is a little tougher to deal with than that one from a couple weeks ago. In this passage, John says, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. And he says it plainly, no one who's born of God will continue to sin. But you may remember that in the first part of this letter, the part we looked at a month ago, John said this, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now, if you remember that message, you might remember that part of the big takeaway from that was the path to being okay involves recognizing that we're not okay. Right? Unless we have the humility to recognize that we have not yet arrived at perfection, then we are not able to grow. Right? I said, sometimes we got to say the same thing that Taylor Swift says in her single, right? It's me, the problem is me. Right? Sometimes you got to be willing to admit that. That was the takeaway from that message. And what What John says is that if we're humble enough to recognize our sin, right, God is faithful and just, and he will forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. But then this week, we get no one who is born of God will continue to sin. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. That makes it sound like we have to be sinless, in order to be considered born again, in order to be considered people who know God, right? But if we have to be sinless, we're in trouble because earlier John said that anyone who claims to be sinless is a liar, 
right? So this seems like a real problem here. We got two options and neither one is good. We can either be a liar or we cannot be born again. Liar or not be born again. I don't like either one of those options, right? Now, you can imagine that some people might say, oh, I, I see what's going on here. We shouldn't claim we are without sin because at some point before we knew God, we, we sinned, right? But then we became followers of Christ. And once we're followers of Christ, then there should be no more sinning at all. We should be, we should be pure. But that can't be right. Because let me remind you of something that John said in that first passage that we looked at about a month ago. He said, and he was so reassuring, right? He said, my dear children, in other words, this is directed towards children of God, right? I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Right? So those words are directed specifically towards the children of God, presumably people who have been born again, and it's acknowledging that sometimes children of God do sin. And John is reassuring them that when that happens, if they confess, there is forgiveness. Christ's sacrifice is that powerful and that expansive, right? That it can cover us. So, what is going on? What is going on here? This is why I've titled this message, Do Christians Sin? Because that to me was, that was the heart that, of the, the passage that I was wrestling with all this week. Did John make a mistake? I mean, he, he was presumably in his 90s when he wrote this, so maybe he was slipping a little bit, right? Well, I don't think that this is a demonstration of dementia. I think it is a demonstration of wisdom. Wisdom sometimes affirms two things that at least on the surface seem contradictory. It, it's affirming a tension. And throughout scripture you will find that there are tensions that are affirmed. You know, a, a great example of this is in the book of Proverbs. There are two Proverbs that are right next to each other, right next to each other. And one of them says, you know, don't respond to a fool, otherwise the fool will just make you foolish too. And then the next one says, respond to a fool or he'll never realize he's wrong. And they're right next to each other, right? Totally different advice. But there's truth in both of them. There's wisdom in both of them, right? Because in some circumstances, the first one's going to be the right thing to do. And in other circumstances, the other one is going to be the right thing to do. This is how wisdom works. It affirms tensions. It's not always completely black and white. And here is the tension in, in 1 John. On the one hand, 1 John is saying we are all sinners, and if we deny it, we're lying. We are not perfect. We are flawed. But, on the other hand, if we claim to be born again, and yet our lives are characterized by sin... We haven't really been born again. So how do we affirm both, both of these things without speaking nonsense? I think that the key is how we understand 
sin. What is sin? Well, I think that if you take what John has said so far, and you think about how Jesus summarized the law and the prophets, it is fair to say that sin is the opposite of love. Just like Pamela read when she was uh, presenting Jesus' words, right? How do you sum up the law and the prophets? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Sin is the opposite of that. Sin is the failure to love. Right? As, as John says, those who hate their brothers and sisters are still walking in darkness. The essence of sin is hatred, the opposite of love. Now, I realize somebody might say, well, no, 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 that's, no, you're being sentimental, Ryan. <laughs> sin is not mainly about failing to love. It is about failing to follow God's laws. Now, I agree with that statement. It is about failing to follow God's laws. Um, and J John tells us that plainly, right? In verse 4, everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. Amen. That's true. But what is the law that we're talking about here? Some of us hear the law and we think of, you know, the Mosaic law with its 613 commands. But when the New Testament writers talk about the Mosaic Law, they use a different word than John is using here. They use the word nomos. John doesn't use that word here. He's not talking about the Mosaic Law. He's talking about something else. The moral law, God's eternal moral law, which is the old new commandment, as I have loved you love one another. Lawlessness is disregard for that. That is what John is talking about. And when we understand sin as the opposite of love, when we get that into our heads, it helps to make sense of the tension that John is talking about here. So to show you this, I'm going to read these two passages that seem to be in contradiction with each other, but rather than saying the word sin, I'm going to replace it with, with words that have to do with the failure to love. So listen to the way that this sounds. Um, if we claim to love God and our neighbors perfectly, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our failure to love, God is faithful and just and will forgive us and purify us. And then listen to this one. No one who is born of God will continue to live without love for God and neighbor. So do you notice when you replace that word sin with the essence of sin and read those passages alongside each other, they don't sound as at odds with each other. It's like, yeah, no, I can see that. That makes sense. The first passage emphasizes the truth that we do not love perfectly and how important it is to recognize that. And the second emphasizes the truth that Christians are people who are bothered by that and whose lives are characterized by love for God and love for neighbor. 
People who are born again, truly born again, have enough love in their hearts that they are aware of their failures to love and they are troubled enough to confess them. Maybe the simplest way to put it is this. A born-again person can be imperfect, is imperfect, right? But a born-again person cannot be loveless. A born-again person can be imperfect, but a born-again person cannot be loveless. We make a terrible mistake when we reduce being born again down to, you know, just agreeing with certain doctrines or, you know, having recited a certain prayer at some point in our lives. To be born again is to have a spiritual awakening made possible by Jesus Christ and generated by the Holy Spirit that transforms us into people of love. I'll say that again. To be born again is to have a spiritual awakening made possible by Jesus Christ and generated by the Holy Spirit that transforms us into people of love. Christians can be imperfect, but they cannot be loveless. A true born-again experience expands our compassion and softens our hearts to the injustice in the world. It opens our eyes to the fact that, as John talked about last week, that the world is messed up and filled with the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. In other words, a real born-again experience makes us more like Jesus. And if we claim to have had a born-again experience, but it hasn't generated any of that transformation into someone more like Jesus, then it hasn't really been a real born-again experience. All this reminds me of a bumper sticker that I've seen. It says, Christians are not perfect, just forgiven. Now, I agree with that sticker. Like 1 John says, Christians are not perfect. If we claim to be without sin, then the truth is not in us, and we make God out to be a liar. Yes, that is true. And are Christians forgiven? Amen. Yes, we are forgiven. Forgiven through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Yes. So I agree with this sticker, but I don't like this sticker. I don't like it because it omits something very important, which 1 John includes, right? It is only a partial truth. And what it omits is really important. It leaves out what John says, right, which is that Christians are people of love. As Jesus said, right, this is how people will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So, When we say, well, Christians are not perfect, just forgiven, I feel like the rest of the world might hear something like, well, Christians aren't any different than anybody else. We just have a pass. Unlike the rest of you sorry saps that don't have a pass. How nice for us. So I think that John would prefer a bumper sticker that says something like, Christians aren't perfect, but they refuse to walk in hatred. Or, Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven and forgiving.
I'm really sorry if any of you have this bumper sticker. Because <laughs> my goal is not to make us feel shame or anything like that. Maybe you've used this phrase before. Like I said, there's truth in it. It's just that sometimes when we leave out certain important truths, it can, we don't come across well. Okay? So, I'm not trying to shame anybody. I'm just being honest. Not a big fan of this sticker, and this is why. Okay. It is so important for us to recognize that Jesus did not come only to offer us forgiveness. Absolutely, that's a huge part of why he came, yes. But John describes Jesus' mission as much more than just giving us forgiveness, right? He says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. To destroy the devil's work. And the devil's work, John says, is sinning, right? He has been uh, sinning since the beginning. And those who live in sin, he says, are led by the devil, and, and again, as I say that, let me stress the connection between sin and lovelessness, right? Those who live in hatred and in selfishness are led by the devil. So Jesus did not come only to offer us forgiveness, but to help us turn from sin towards love. And the devil's work is not destroyed until that happens. And the destruction of the devil's work, which is this transformation in us is a key part of what it means to have Christian hope. Ever since the earliest days of the church, the Christian faith has been a faith of hope, right? Hope. But hope in what exactly? Well, I think if you did a poll of uh, most Christians, said, what is the Christian hope? They would say, well, hope that through Jesus, we'll have eternal life. And certainly, that is a huge part of Christian hope. But the Christian hope is more specific than that. You know, what do we mean by eternal life? Are we just talking about life of endless duration that just goes on forever and ever? Because I hope that's not all we mean, because that in itself isn't necessarily a good thing. That could be a miserable thing, right? The eternal life that we look forward to is not just, you know, life of endless duration, but it's life of a certain quality. And John says something in this passage about the quality of life that our hope is in, right? He says, we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. I like how he just says, we know this. Do we? I'm not so sure. Do we know this? When Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So this is what John is saying here. At some point, Christ will appear to us, and we will see him unimpeded in his full glory. And the act of seeing Christ in his full glory will have a transformative effect on us. Well, it, where it will make us like Christ. There are some things that you can't see without being changed, right? For better or for worse. 
And this is saying when we see Christ as he truly is, unimpeded, it will have this transformative, purifying effect on us. Right now, our vision of God is a little bit fuzzy. You know, we, we get as clear of a picture as we possibly can by looking at the life of Christ and through the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, but it's still a little fuzzy. You might remember last week uh, I quoted that passage from the Apostle Paul where he says that right now our vision of God is kind of like looking into a mirror. Right now we see through a glass darkly, uh, some translations say. And that's because in those days they didn't have mirrors the way that we have them today. Their mirrors didn't, you didn't look in a mirror and see a real clear image of your face. They just had this polished metal. And so you saw yourself, but it was kind of vague, kind of fuzzy. And Paul was saying, that's what our vision, our perspective of God is like right now. But one day we will see him face to face. That's the same thing that John is talking about here. This is the hope that we have, that one day we will see Christ, we'll see God as he truly is, unimpeded. It will either happen when Christ returns to earth or when we die, presumably, right? But we will meet him and we will see him as he truly is. And when that happens, sin will be driven out of us once and for all. We will be purged of our hatred and our bitterness and our foolishness. And the only thing that will remain is what is consistent with the Spirit of God. And what is consistent with the Spirit of God is a Christ-like heart of love. And that's what will remain. So this is what our hope is. Not just eternal life. Not just going to, quote, a better place. But becoming like Christ having sin purged out of us. Do you look forward to that? Do you look hopefully toward that day? Christians are not perfect. No. But our hope is that one day we will be made perfect. And if that is our hope, then the purification of our souls should start now. Not just after we die. As John says, all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. You cannot be looking forward to that day without having love in your heart for God and for your neighbor. It's impossible. So let's look forward not just to eternal life, but to being made like Jesus in the future, and right now. Amen? Right. Lord, we do want to experience uh, your purifying love here and now in this life, Lord. And we do look forward in hope to the day when we will be fully cleansed of sin. Uh, but Lord, we want to participate uh, as much as we can in, in the eternal life, even right now, the life that is truly life, not just the life that goes on forever, but the life that is lived in the power of your Holy Spirit, lives characterized by love rather than sin. And so we invite you, Lord, to work in us. We do truly want to be born of you 
and we thank you and praise you for your, your grace, your forgiveness, the atoning sacrifice that you have made on our behalf, Lord. We receive that, and we pray that we would be continually transformed by it. In Jesus' name, amen.